Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to the weekly UK Sangha. Um, I host these talks every week on Wednesday. Um, I'm flying to Thailand for a month, so the time will probably change that I do them. So I'm going to have to figure out uh, when I'm going to change that too. But I'm here with my friends uh, Nisha and Pietro. And we have a sutta picked out for today. Um, it's a it's a fairly short sutta, but um, it caught my interest um, and has uh, some good um, supra mundane dhamma that we can uh, dive into and explore, as opposed to mundane dhamma. Um, supra mundane dhamma would just mean uh the dhamma that leads to the end of suffering rather than the dhamma that postpones the end of suffering that's mundane dhamma so oh maybe next life i'll get a better rebirth or something that's uh what most people believe um the buddha teaches and um that's available for people who don't practice the super mundane dhamma, so there's nothing. I have nothing against it, but um, I've really only been interested in the super mundane uh, teaching of the Buddha. So that's normally what I talk about on my calls. But if it's too um, high out there, and if it if it doesn't resonate, uh, that's not a problem at all. Um, there's a lot of other dhamma teachers out there. Okay, so this is from the uh, Samyutta Nikaya 12.15. And I'm not going to try to pronounce the Pali title because uh, I don't know how to pronounce Kachayana Gota Sutta. Um, but here it goes. Dwelling at Savati. Oh, and this is the Tanisro Bhikkhu translation. Dwelling at Savati, uh, then Venerable Kachayana Gota approached the Blessed One, and on arrival, having bowed down, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he said to the Blessed One, Lord, right view, right view. It is said, to what extent is there right view? Okay, so right view, it's the first, uh, it's the first item of the Eightfold Noble Path. Um, the practice starts with right view. The path starts, the entire path starts with right view. So right view is pretty important. Um, right view comes first. That's a, I forgot what sutta that's from, but it's a direct quote from uh, one of the middle length discourses. Right view comes first. So the sutta is going to, um, Talk about right view. By and large, Kachayana, this world is supported by a polarity, that of existence and non-existence. But when one sees the origination of the world as it actually is with right discernment, non-existence with reference to the world does not occur to one. When one sees the cessation of the world 
as it actually is with right discernment, existence with reference to the world does not occur to one. Okay. So, um, essentially what this is trying to point to is that the practice of right view is to not hold any ontological beliefs about what reality really is other than the direct experience of it. So when the world is there, you recognize that the world is there. And uh, when the world goes away, so that would be the meditative experience of cessation, or you can say every night in deep sleep, deep sleep, the world goes away. Then you don't say that the world is there. So when one sees the cessation of the world as it actually is with right discernment, existence with reference to the world does not occur to one. So you don't, uh, in other words, you don't fabricate what, what isn't there. If, if uh, things pass away, you don't claim that they're existing. If things are existing, you don't claim that they're non-existing either. So a lot of people do this in Buddhism. They'll they'll look at manifested existence and say, oh, it's all emptiness, actually. It's all non-existent. That's not true because it's there it is. It's existent. So right view is a common sense approach of just looking directly at our experience of reality and seeing it for what it is. Um, so the Buddha does not teach that there is existence or non-existence that's misunderstand or that everything is empty or made of emptiness. That's a misunderstanding of emptiness. Um, so existence and non-existence, another, I don't know if this is a translation of Rupa and a Rupa Raga, but another way you could word it is emptiness and form. Okay, this is a very common theme and not just Buddhism. But uh, so, so nothingness and somethingness, right? The two kind of like they're two, they're kind of two dependent co uh, concepts, just like up and down. Up is dependent on down and down is dependent on up. But when one sees the origination of the world as it actually is with right discernment, non-existence with reference to the world does not occur to one, right? So you see things with basic mindfulness or basic viewing. So you just view, you just take in your experience as it comes without any, um, um, conceptual overlay about what it is. Okay. It is what it is. By and large, Katriana, this world is in bondage to attachments, clingings, and biases. But one such as this does not get involved with or cling to these attachments, clingings, and fixations of awareness 
biases or obsessions, nor is he resolved on myself. He has no uncertainty or doubt that just stress when arising is arising. So stress is dukkha. Stress when passing, when passing away is passing away. In this, his knowledge is independent of others. It's to this extent, Kachayana, that there is right view. Right. Okay, so there's going to be a parallel here drawn. So the same way when there is existence, you recognize there is existence. And when there is non-existence, you recognize there is non-existence. The, the same goes for dukkha. And really the only purpose of existence and non-existence, the only reason why it's important is because it's relationship to dukkha. So all manifested form is dukkha, but it's going to get into that. And then the passing away of dukkha is the passing away of manifested form. Um, but yeah, the, wor the, the whole world is um, concerned about stuff that does not matter to the one who's practicing the supramundane dhamma. It's full of biases. So like people are attached to their viewpoints, their, their, their view of the world, the way that they think the world is, or the way that they think it should be, all kinds of prejudices based upon their conditionings, maybe their upbringing, maybe some experiences they had, they form all kinds of world views, but this is not right view. So these attachments and these biases are actually what uh, limit you from seeing what is actually true. So if we have um, already a prejudice or a bias that something will be a certain way, we're going to see it more skewed in that direction. Our vision will be obstructed or filtered out by the mental process of that bias. Um, I mean, you can see this in science. You know, there's a well-known concept, co confirmation bias. If you're only looking for one type of evidence, that's all the evidence that you're going to find. So the bias confirms itself. So if you think the world is a lousy place and it's and it, life sucks, well, the world will be a lousy place and life will suck. So that would be a bias, right? If you have the predisposition to feeling a certain way and thinking a certain way, you're going to um, experience more of that stuff that confirms your own uh, your own mental bias. So, oh, I'm unlovable or, oh, everybody always leaves me or like some kind of bias like that. It's going it's to be a self-fulfilling uh, prophecy. So the idea is to not, uh, to not attach yourself to any of these biases or worldviews and just simply see things uh, directly for what it is and don't, don't, don't guess what it's going to be. Just experience it as it happens. So uh, in this way, you're not obsessed with yourself. You're just experiencing reality. You don't have a 
concept or a bias about me. Uh, myself is ultimately the strongest bias that we have. So we experience reality through the lens of myself and we don't we end up missing a lot of things and attaching to things and misidentifying things and misinterpreting all kinds of situations uh, because we filtered out so much information um, through the lens that this is me. So he has no uncertainty or doubt that just stress or dukkha when arising is arising. Yeah, so you just recognize dukkha. Okay, this is dukkha. Um, even subtle dukkha, it's still dukkha. You just recognize it when it's arising, it's arising. And when passing away is passing away. And that's all you kind of, that's all right view is really concerned with. Okay, I'm going to move on. Unless there's anything anyone wants to talk about. Oh, welcome, Anna. Good to have you. Um, yeah, okay, I'm going to move on to the next paragraph. Okay. Everything exists. That is one extreme. Everything doesn't exist. That is a second extreme. Avoiding these two extremes, the Tathagata teaches the Dhamma via the middle. From ignorance as a requisite condition comes fabrications. From fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness. From consciousness as a requisite condition comes name and form. From name and form as a requisite condition comes the six, six sense media. So sight, sound, taste, uh, touch, um, mind objects. Um, from the six sense media as requisite conditions comes contact. So when the mind comes into contact with the media or the content of our senses, uh, that contact is the mental processing of that information. And from contact as a requisite condition comes feeling. So through the um, processing of the sixth sense media, um, a feeling will arise either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. From feeling as a requisite condition comes craving, right? So if we like it, we want it. If we don't like it, we want it to go away. From craving as a requisite condition comes clinging. From clinging as a requisite condition comes becoming. From becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. From birth as a requisite condition, then aging is, and death. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair come into play. Such is the origination of the entire mass of suffering. All right, so um, that was, uh, I'm sure you guys heard that before, but that was uh, essentially the whole dependent origination 
that the Buddha teaches, uh, teaches Samapada. And um, it's important. It's important um, what was prefaced before this teaching, uh, Paticca Samapada was elaborated. So everything exists is one extreme. Everything doesn't exist is another extreme. So the Buddha doesn't teach like what the beginning of reality was or what reality is going towards or like he doesn't teach everything exists or everything doesn't exist. Um, the only thing he teaches is the current arisal, how in this very moment, here and now, how does suffering arise? And these, this is the sequence of events that happens that leads to the problem of life, the problem of old age, disease, and death. The only problem that we really have um, at the end of the day. Um, is suffering and despair and uh, and death. So these are um, these are interesting topics to us because we'd like to know uh, what the escape from it is, right? We'd like to know um, how can we find deliverance from this problem? How can we find uh, salvation, right? So we're not really concerned about what oh is reality is the true nature of reality made of consciousness or like is it made of um newtonian uh, lego blocks or is it made of uh or is it made of atomic uh energies and wavelengths that's not where really the problem here so i mean you can you can uh think about that kind of stuff but it's not going to lead to um the end of suffering all right so now from the remainderless fading and cessation of that very ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications so this is like the this is the reverse uh dependent origination so this is this is how uh, suffering comes to an end so from uh the cessation of that ignorance and what's the cessation of uh, ignorance? Simply right view. So simply the practice of viewing things as they are and not imagining what they aren't. Okay, that's the cessation of ignorance. So now from the remainderless fading and cessation of that very ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. From the cessation of fabrications uh, comes the cessation of consciousness. From the cessation of consciousness comes the cessation of name and form. From the cessation of name and form comes the cessation of the sixth sense media. From the cessation of the sixth sense media comes the cessation of contact. From the cessation of contact comes the cessation of feeling. From the cessation of feeling comes the cessation of craving. From the cessation of craving comes the cessation of clinging and sustenance. From the cessation of clinging and sustenance uh, comes the cessation of becoming. From the cessation of becoming comes the cessation of birth. From the cessation of birth 
then aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, distress, and despair all cease. Such is the cessation of the entire mass of suffering. All right, well, that's the end of the Sutta. Is there any uh, thing anyone would like to talk about? Thank you. My pleasure. Um, uh, I just got a check on. Go ahead, Nisha. Oh, go, go, man. Uh, I, just, I just wanted to, um, by by the logic in that suitor, it would it would seemingly pose that we kind of came into this world through suffering. Would that be an accurate kind of something to deduce from all that? Um. So suffering is the result. It's not. It's not the cause. So suffering would be at the end of dependent origination. All of this stuff happens that leads to suffering. Um, when you're first born, it's not really a problem. You're like, yeah, I'm alive. Okay. But are we not born because of suffering? No. And um, all, all, um, birth, why are we born? Birth also um, doesn't necessarily mean literally um, when you came out of your mother's womb. Okay, so birth is used in a much so the Buddha, the way the Buddha teaches birth is used in a much more experiential way than the concept of your birth. Because do you re even remember being born? I don't. Right. So at, at a certain point, you. The you become aware, so like you become self con the it's more talking about the birth of the sense of self. Um, that that's kind of what um, birth means in this context. So the birth yeah, of the sense of self. Right, a, a baby doesn't really have very much of a sense of self, like a newly born baby. All it's doing is taking in raw data. So, 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 um, I'm kind of going before that, though. You know, what's that? Because there was, a, there was a, there was an action that led to birth, and what was that action rooted in? You know, like the whole. It was like whole, your, your parents. Your parents, uh, they liked each other very much, and they had sex, and they, <laughs> and one of them impregnated the other. Yeah, so, but is that action like? Can that action actually be rooted in craving? I suppose that's kind of my question. You know, can there really be selfless kind of enlightened lovemaking, or is there? Is there a is there a rooted kind of craving in that aspect? Because I can only imagine. That's a good question. That's my, a great my father and stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh yeah. I it, mean, it, it, like it kind of sounds like the whole problem of life is suffering. So therefore, we're kind of born into this world through suffering, even though it might be veiled in pleasure or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, a lot of people are in that school. So a lot of Dhamma teachers would say that like all sex happens, like sex by definition is 
you can only have sex from craving and that you cannot have like enlightened sex or whatever. But uh, I don't know. I don't really have that point of view. I think sex is just but don't like, you, um, <clears throat> Once you reach the state of anagami, don't you? Well, yeah, supposedly like some, you people have no, teach, some people teach you that. Have no I don't claim anymore. I don't, so I don't claim to be anagami or reach the state of anagami. So there's nothing really I could tell you about that. Some people claim that that's the case. Um, whether I believe them or not is a different story, but that's just for you you to um, decide for yourself. Um, but uh, sex is it's it's a natural instinct. Uh, just like eating, obviously. I mean, uh, technically, every time you eat, there has to be craving to eat, right? Mm. Like you, you're, you're hungry you're, to to survive, right? So, um, obviously, if you ne don't have sex for the rest of your life, you wouldn't die. But I would put it in the um, th there is an instinctual mechanism that operates, and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it, or it's not. I wouldn't say that like having sex is not spiritual or anything like that. Like I would think that's that would be kind of ridiculous. And like that would just be a, a preacher thing to do or like a priest thing to do. But um, for those who choose not to, um, that's totally fine, too. It just depends on uh, your specific circumstance. Um, yeah, well, I'm just curious, you know, about this whole dimension that we arrive into and from what what is the precursor state that brought us here you know yeah so that so uh, it's a kind of thing to think about so like but that will go on forever you know you can always think about uh what caused this and then well well then what caused that and then well then what caused that and what caused that right you can keep going it's like almost an infinite regression so that's why the Buddha's emphasizing, instead of thinking about what what was the beginning of it all, because ultimately you can't know that. And then also it's not even it's not even what's causing suffering right now. Really, what the teaching is is there is a sequence of events happening this very moment that's creating your suffering. That's creating that's creating uh, all of. All, the whole mass of suffering is happening each moment like that. You're uh, welcome, Jesus or Jesus. Um, good to see you. So, so you're being reborn every moment. Every moment, uh, a thought arises. It it has established existence. It passes away and it dies. And then another thought arises. Uh, you experience that thought. It passes away and it dies. So the idea is to look directly at our experience and see that um, it's constantly uh, coming in and out of existence. Or every act, it, it may it may not be clear that your entire experience is coming in and out of existence. But if you look at each individual aspect of it, it is coming in and out of existence. Right. So if you if you just set, take thoughts, for example, OK, you can see that the thoughts are rising and passing away. And then uh, if you take uh, uh, vision, for example, you can see that the sights that you have is changing. 
If I close my eyes, the vision of the room passes away. If I open my eyes, the vision of the room arises. So, and it, if it's the same for sound. You hear a sound, it, it arises, you hear it, and it vanishes. Um, so, mm. and this is true for literally everything, every single aspect of our experience. So if we have right view, we can see that um, all of manifestation, even duke, all of dukkha, is uh, arising and passing away. And realizing this so totally uh, can lead to a sort of big uh, re release of attachment and a big release of delusion. So it, it can happen at um, larger and smaller scales. So a lot of people will say, like, what is cessation, right? Is it is it blanking out of existence, right? Well, you can experience the cessation of uh, perception and feeling. Um, that would be kind of like a classic experience of Nibbana. But then also you can experience the cessation of uh, each thought you're having or the cessation of each feeling you're having. Your feelings are changing all the time. Or the, how about the cessation of each breath? A breath arises out of nothing. You experience it and then it passes away. That's cessation right there. All right. So you're being born and as a result of birth, death happens. It's the same way. It's another way of saying that uh, something arising is the condition for it passing away. So the very. So by that logic, we would actually do come into this world from suffering. Otherwise, we wouldn't have arisen, surely. Well, suffering arises and then suffering passes away. Okay. And life, uh, the whole problem of life is that we die, and that is the dukkha. The, right. the, the, the dukkha is the ignorance that this suffering is me or mine, rather than just uh. arising and passing away naturally on its own. So the the dukkha ultimately, if you wanna if you wanna pin something down to the source of I mean the source of all suffering, the first step of how suffering is created is ignorance. And ignorance is simply not paying attention or not seeing clearly what's really going on right now in this moment. Um, so the Buddha is so like Nisha, I, 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 I also had a very existential um, mind as well that, that's very interested and curious. Where did this all come from? You know, how is there something rather than nothing? Those kind of bigger questions. I'm very interested in that kind of stuff too. But the what the Buddha is doing, saying in the sutta explicitly, is he's not teaching any of that. He's not teaching any kind of um, hypothetical uh, existential uh, paradigms for how reality uh, is is creating or, or all of his everything exists or that nothing exists. He's not he's not trying to establish an ontological view of reality all, all he's establishing is 
the right view that realizes in this very moment what is reality now and and that leads to the end of suffering you see that reality right now uh is always changing and it's not there's no continuous self to be found in any of it therefore uh it can't be satisfying to me and then so you can let go you can let go and just watch and when you let go and just watch uh you'll see that things do pass away and things do vanish and when when you really see that things do really vanish on a on a on the most profound uh scale then that would be the total end of dukkha and then that experience will speak for itself there's no more questions at that point because you realize that all your questions were really just about suffering ultimately the only the only motive behind anything that we do is because we believe that it will end our suffering the only reason why you, someone would want to have sex right the only reason why someone wants to um do stuff in the world why they want to pro procreate why they want to do anything why they want to philosophize why they want to think about stuff is because they believe that it'll lead to the end of their suffering that's the motivating suffering is a motivating um well that would deduce that we are born out of suffering if you, if you say that so, if, we, if, so, we, if our actions are based on so our craving so, and to, so already saying like we are born out of suffering is already from the vantage point of ignorance because we are born out of suffering who is born out of suffering right me so there is a self in, instead of reality is taking place and um instead of uh okay uh the sixth sense media is arising and at, as that is a requisite um contact is happening the my senses are being processed that as a requisite um feeling is arising you you don't see that all of this process is happening impersonally and you think that there is a me that is being born or is a me well, that you could just say the dependent origination that i experience is born out of suffering or i guess not i or you know you know the thing the different components that are you know turning and spinning are born out of some sort of you know craving craving is a little further on down the line so it's not the first step right the the order is pretty important the 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 so i'm just because in the sutta it talked about the dependent origination and right so, to me that's that, that so seems like i'm just going to briefly yeah of what's so, going on here so <clears throat> ignorance as a requisite uh comes consciousness from consciousness name and form from name and form uh the sixth sense media 
from the Sixth Sense Media contact feeling, uh, then uh, uh, craving, clinging. Um, so so it, it, the, the direct requisite for birth, so the one that comes uh, right before uh, birth is clinging and becoming. So um, if you want to think about it, and uh, so why was why is birth happening? Um, from the teaching of dependent origination, it's because there's some kind of clinging. You want to be born, okay? So you so want. So basically, you, what I'm saying is true. What I what I what the, my first question. We came into this life from a starting point of suffering. We came. We're here because of suffering. If birth is at the end. Yeah, I mean then, the first thing you do. The first thing you do when you're born is cry. Exactly. Exactly. That's that, that's my whole point. That's what I've been thinking for a long time. I'm just trying to speak to you guys about it. It's like, all right, maybe it is true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But it seems to make a lot of sense. Once we kind of have all these bits of Buddha's teaching put together. Yeah, so. The pretty much. Everything that we experience is dukkha, is suffering. But the end of dukkha isn't really an experience rather than the vanishing of previous dukkha. So that, that's an important insight. So yeah, uh, um, everything we experience from the moment we're born is dukkha. But the way the experience operates if we if we have if we uh, develop the skill of right view, experience is not permanent, and there's no self in it. It's always disappearing, and the experience of it disappearing is what is felt as the relief of that dukkha. So you, if you have a headache, and then the headache's gone. It feels good that the headache is gone. All right, so the relief of like the experience of uh, relief or the end of suffering is by the vanishing of the suffering that has arised. Well, it's craving, I guess, isn't it? The relinquishment of craving. Yeah, it's definitely that's definitely a a root part of it. And the cool thing about the dependent origination teaching is you can um, you can toy with it, use it as a toy at different levels of the dependent origination. So you can see things at the point of craving. Or you can see things at the point of liking or not liking. And then you can like or not like something and stop it at any point. So right view can happen at any point of dependent origination. You can have right view at when when there's craving. And that's the way that the craving uh, will subside. But then you can also have right view just at the point of uh, feeling. So at the point of 
pleasant or unpleasant feelings and just see it for what it is pleasant or unpleasant feelings that are appearing and disappearing and then it won't even develop into craving uh so at any point um there is the opportunity to wake up to uh have a look at what's going on Thank you. All right, Pietro. If, uh, good to see you, brother. Is, it, is there any uh, other questions? No? Okay, yeah, sorry. I, 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 I'm probably going to end this one short today because I have an international flight I have to catch to. I'm flying to Thailand. Um, yeah, so, so I, like, I, I, I just realized this morning that um, you have to give more time for international flights. So I'm going to head out. But it was it, thanks for coming, everyone. Um, it was lovely to see you. And uh, I, I hope that your practice goes well. A fun in Thailand. Have a safe life. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Take care. Bye-bye. See you soon. Safe trip. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a safe life. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.